to Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. Early in Jesus' ministry, a centurion, it's a Roman officer, came asking him to come heal a servant um, who was grievously tormented by a palsy. And Jesus responded, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed, so be it unto thee. I mean, y'all are familiar with that story. That's Matthew 8, um, verses 5 through 13. And so I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on it, but I want the expression, for I am a man under authority. That's what I want to chew on today. I am a man under authority and having soldiers under me. This Roman officer knew what it was to operate in a chain of command. There's a hierarchy. At the top of the Roman Empire, you had Caesar, Emperor, and then you had various pecking orders down to him. And then beneath him, he had folks that reported to him. And he had authority delegated to him. That's kind of what authority means, is an influence that's been delegated, where those soldiers would listen to what he said. But by the same token, he was not an independent man. He had authority above him, right? We all exist under authority, okay? Children, there are authority figures over you that God has put there. You know what they're called? Parents, right? Wives, the authority is your husband. Citizens of this nation, county, state, government officials. If you're an employee of somebody, you're an employer. Um, members of the church, pastor. All of us, including pastor, are under the authority of the church. And above all that is God, the authority. He's the highest. He is supreme. If you go to Matthew 28, this is what Jesus is going to give the Great Commission to His disciples. He's going to give them final instructions. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, this is post-resurrection, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You know, the Greek word there, power, is the exact same one for authority. Back with our centurion. All authority, all power 
is given unto Christ. Right? Father's given that to the, the Son. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So we are all under authority. And in most of our scenarios, we're kind of like the centurion, where we've got authorities we report to, and then we have those that we have responsibility and care for leading. Okay? Y'all ever been left home with your siblings? What did mom and daddy say to the oldest one? You're in charge, right? You're in charge. Now, had mom and daddy not said that, and mom and daddy still be at home, what do you often hear between brothers and sisters? You're not the boss of me! And that's true, right? Unless mom and daddy delegates some little bit of authority to them, in which case, yeah, they are. Because that older sibling is so much more qualified and smart and knowledgeable and everything. No, it's because mom and daddy delegated it. Right? They put them in that position. Um, and so that's kind of how we find ourselves. When we're in a position of authority, of having the care and responsibility for others, it's not necessarily because we're the best or the brightest or the smartest or the most noble or most obedient. It's because this is the responsibility that God has put us in. It's His authority that's being put upon an individual. Okay? Final authority, you know, in that scenario, brother and sisters, it still rests with mom and dad, right? Baby brother cannot overrule, or big brother cannot overrule what mom and daddy want to happen, right? Big brother in that scenario says, here, play with some matches and go burn the house down. That would be disgusting. That would be a bad idea because little brothers know that the highest authority would not want that. They have clear instructions that that's not permissible. So wherever we are in our authority structure, we cannot overrule the top authority, right? That's what guides us. That's what leads us. If you go to John chapter 19, when Jesus is being interrogated by Pilate, I say interrogated, he's asking questions. Jesus is not answering anything. I was getting a little upset in verse 10. 19 says, Speakest thou not unto me? Why aren't you answering my questions? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? What did Jesus answer? Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Power was given from above. You can see that explicitly over in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1, says, Let every soul be subject to unto the higher powers. It's a real broad descriptor, right? Those that have authority over your life and whatever role that is. For there is no power but of God. And the powers that be are ordained of God. The powers that exist in the society and the culture and the structure that we lift in, they are set down by God. Does that mean that these people always use it right and are sinless? Absolutely not. But they're in that position because God is allowing it. Verse 2 says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, (coughs) resisteth the ordinance of God. 
and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. That word damnation there means like in a court case when you have a judgment rendered against you. There's an adjudication. When you're resisting against that power that was set down over you, you're resisting against what God put in place. And the context here is for the most part talking about civil government, but we'll broaden that out for a minute. Um, So continuing on verse 3, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. This is a general rule. Is the government going to give you more trouble if you're doing what's right or if you're doing what's wrong? As a general rule, (laughs) there's exceptions to that, I understand that, but as a general rule, it's to that which is evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to do thee for good. But if thou do which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a avenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. That's part of the role of civil government is to bring down the hammer on those that are um, violating the laws of land to do an evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, subject to those authorities, high powers, not only for wrath. That means you're not just complying to avoid the bad consequences, right? I don't just not speed to avoid the ticket, but also for conscience sake. For conscience sake, because you are a servant of the Most High God, and He has told you to submit, to comply. For this cause, pay ye tribute also. So, any of y'all wonder why we pay taxes voluntarily? Our highest authority told us to. Do we have to like it? We probably should get to it because we're being obedient, but our authority told us to. God told us to. For this cause, pay we tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues. Render therefore to all their dues. Whether tribute to whom tribute is due, whether it's taxes, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Okay? Those are pretty clear instructions. Alright? Our leader, Christ, is instructing us to submit to those that are in authority over us for His sake. Now, the Scripture's going to take this to what you and I would consider even to an extreme case, and that's of even in being the form of somebody's servant. Okay? Or slave. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're blessed to live in a time and a country where this is extremely rare. But imagine, if you will, that this was going on right here in your neighborhood and maybe that you were a slave. This is what God is speaking to you even in that harsh and extreme context. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. First command from your highest authority is to be obedient to the masters. Now these masters are masters according to the flesh. Those that have the rule over you here below. They are not the highest master. But the general command is to obey. And not only that, do it with fear and trembling. Now there is a there is a compliance 
You know, ever told your kids to do something and they comply, but they have a really bad attitude? Right? The obeying here is talking about following through. The with fear and trembling talks about how are you doing that? What is the attitude you're having while you're doing that? Okay? In singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Singleness versus uh, two-facedness, duplicitousness. Y'all ever been in a job site where boss is around and your coworker over here, he just smiles and he does the right thing and he's working hard. And, oh, yes, sir, boss, everything. And then boss walks away. Man, I hate that boss. And he just sits there and doesn't do anything for the next half hour until the boss comes back, right? That's being two-faced. That's being duplicitous. That is trying to basically steal money because you're not rendering your labor as opposed to serving with singleness from your heart. One motivation. Who are you serving when you're in that role? And remember, this, this context was literally written to those that were slaves who had no ability to leave that role. Okay? Even in there, it says you are to serve with a singleness from your heart. All right? You've got what are you doing? You're obeying. How are you doing it? It's your attitude. And what's your motivation for doing it? All of those are compassed in that. And this is writing to believers in Christ. He's not writing this to the world. He's writing this to you and I. That we who are under authority, how do we respond? Obedience with fear and trembling and singleness, serving as unto Christ. He's the target for our service. No matter where this would line up in our particular lives, however this would apply in your life or mine, He's the target of our service. How can I serve with a pure heart? Because my highest authority has told me to, and I'm serving Him. Okay? Not with eye service as men pleasers. Eye service. That's one who has to be watched to see if they're actually going to do the work. Right? One who only wants to work when it's convenient for them because somebody's watching. Well, who are they trying to please? They're just trying to please men. Right? If you're trying to please Christ, God, guess what? He's always watching. Right? There's no time when He looks away and you can kind of slack off. Right? He is always watching. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God, again, from the heart. The will of God here is telling you to be obedient. To serve with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart. Doing the will of God. With goodwill doing service as unto the Lord. Goodwill. Y'all ever do something and you're going through the motions, but you really just kind of wish it'd blow up because it'd hurt whoever you're, you're doing it for because you don't want to do it. Right? You ever just had such a sorry attitude that you really just would desire the whole thing to just be messed up and just watch it burn? That's a real, maybe I'll never experience that. I've had some jobs where I've just, just get bent out of shape. Um, and just, it was a bad attitude. But our command from our highest authority is that when we're serving, we're serving unto Him, doing the will of God from our heart, with goodwill, desiring the best, doing service as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. All right, the Lord sees your good works. Whether you're whoever's over you in authority ever sees them, ever acknowledges them, 
whether you get any positive reinforcement from them or not, the Lord sees. You're serving Him. You serve to please Him, doing goodwill from your heart. And he said, He's not going to ignore it. It says, whether you be bond or free, whether you're a free man or whether you are bound a slave, He's not a respecter of persons. He sees you, and He sees when you are faithfully serving Him, even in adverse circumstances. All right, so in the beginning we started about I'm a man under authority and having those under me. Here it's talking about servants. Well, let's expand it up. At the beginning of this chapter it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, your parents are the authority over you. Same instruction. Obey them. Right? Same attitude of fear and trembling with goodwill from the heart. That all applies in that context as well. Honor thy father and mother. That's the how you go about and do it. Your motivation, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. How about from the other side of the coin? How about if I am the leader, and I've got those under me that I'm responsible for? Well, look at verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I have been given a role of authority over these children. It's not to be a dictator. It's not to be a tyrant. But rather, I'm a representative of the one who put me in that authority. right? The great High Father. And I am to govern myself as closely as I can to how He fathers me. How He cares for me. He nurtures me. He's tender. And so, provoking your children to wrath... I'm, Saying and doing things, short-tempered and spite. Kids see injustice. Kids see when you're being a hypocrite. They see when you're being insincere. When you're um, when you're falling flat on your face, they see, and it can make them angry and bitter. And so, there's a, there's twofold here. We're always under authority, and in many many cases, we have one that we're responsible for, and so we have both the duty to submit to the authorities above us, and then also, as we're leading, bear out the authority that our Heavenly Father has delegated to Him in a way that pleases Him. Okay? So it's both sides. Um, You can see that down in verse 9 as well in the context of, okay, if you were a servant, yes, submit. Well, if you're a master, well, you're not just off scot-free. If you had those that were under you, and ye masters do the same things unto them. The same things. Well, that just repeats it all, right? Do the same things under there. Forbearing, threatenings, knowing that your master also is in heaven, and neither is there respect to persons with him. What's that mean? It means, okay, you're the master in this relationship. As a believer in Christ, you are on no higher footing than that one who was under you, right? And so, doing goodwill and taking care of them and leading them and providing what they need, that's the role that you have. Do it, do it well, because everything you do has to be done in the service of God. Right? Now, so you've got the same principles there applied to children, applied to parents, applied to masters. Um, you know, is this just an isolated concept that just happens to be mentioned once in Scripture? It really isn't. This is repeated a bunch. I don't know if we'll get through them all, but I'm going to look at 
a few others and glean some additional, go over a couple chapters, a couple books to Colossians. All right. So he wrote, had the letter to the Ephesians. That was how it's wrapping up. Of how do you live a godly? How do you live a godly life? Part of this is submitting to authorities. And when you're in that position of authority, how do you handle that? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22 starts with servants. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. That's repeated, right? Obedience, repeated. Not with eye service as men pleasers. That's repeated. But in singleness of the heart. That's repeated. Fearing God, fear and trembling. Oh, it said fear and trembling before. Now you know who you're fearing and trembling. You're not fearing and trembling the master there, not according to the flesh. You're serving with fear and trembling of God the Father because you care about Him and His commandments and His service and love to Him, which allows you to obey even an unrighteous and a tyrannical master, one that you are under, serving with a singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it Heartily. This one's a new. This was in this is in a repeat. Do it heartily. That heartily means lively. Awake. Y'all ever had somebody, maybe it was you, who's just a sluggard at the job? Likes like your feet are moving through molasses. And you get I mean, one guy could do ten times the work they take you to do, you know, one thing, and just like, what are you doing? Right? That's not doing it lively. Right? Whatever you're doing, doing it to the Lord. So if you're out chopping wood. Imagine the Lord standing there beside you and you're chopping wood to the Lord. Right? Doing it lively. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Knowing, remember he talked about the Lord seeing the good and re- reward it. Well, what does that mean? Well, here it expands it, explains it. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. And so, so sometimes... We get this idea of, well, God, it's a quid pro quo, right? You give me this, I give this. If I serve diligently, you're going to give me material blessings or something down here. Y'all, it's not a one for one. God is under no obligation to return you good stuff here in exchange for your obedience. You're, you're to be obedient anyway. And the inheritance that you're going to receive is far greater than any peddling you can get here and plus. Now, can he give you blessings? Absolutely. But he's not bound to. And so your condition of service and obedience is not conditioned on receiving that stuff. Because if that's your mindset, guess what? You'll serve for a little bit and you don't get what you're expecting. And what are you going to do? Quit and pout and huff and get mad at God. Right? Knowing that the Lord, knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. That's that great thing. That thing that Christ went and prepared for you, that you're going to be with Him, that's what you'll receive, right? Now, He can give you other stuff too. But as far as you're doing the good, it's out of obedience for Him and love for Him and gratitude for what great thing lies ahead, not for in exchange for what I think will get better here below. Okay? But... He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of person. So whether you're the master or whether you're the servant, whether you're the authority or under the authority, if you're not following his command, if you're rebelling and disobedient and sorry attitudes or you're mistreating and uh, hurting people that are under you, he says, 
He doesn't care. He doesn't matter which position you're in. If you're his child, he's going to address it. Now, this is not talking about casting you into hell for punishment. Christ has already paid for your sin. But because he loves you as your heavenly father, he is going to teach you and nurture you and raise you up in the admonition of the Lord. And he has got a perfect way of doing it. All right? His chastening is just right. It's not because he's angry, but it's because it's for your good and mine. And so don't feel like you're going to be able to shirk and the Lord not notice. He loves you enough. That he, he always notices. That's, that's, that's just a given. But he'll address it. Okay? So, here you've got a repeat of almost all those same concepts. And then, notice in the same section together, is this authority. It expands out. Go back up to verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Who's your target for everything you do? Who's your target for pleasing and service? It's who you should be taking your, the name. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, well, I should be serving in His name. I should be serving Him directly. And so in that context, you get in verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Right? We looked at Genesis in our Bible study that that was part of the consequences of sin is that Adam was put as the ruler over the marriage, that that was the authority position that he was put into. All right? And so wives, you have husbands who are over you in authority. God says to submit to them as it is fit in the Lord, as it is proper in the Lord. Can I condition that? I'm, well, he's not doing what he's supposed to. Doesn't say that. Right? You're submitting to God the Father and His Word by doing so. <coughs> Regardless of how He's handling it, this is to you, right? If it was conditioned on the one above you doing right, do you think He would write that to the servants? Well, if your masters do well, then you serve them. No. Even that extreme case of being in a servant relationship where you cannot escape, even then, you as a follower of Christ have a way that you are commanded to govern yourself. How do we live righteously? He's telling us how. Is it contrary to what we want to do by nature? Yes. Yeah! That's probably why he goes out of his way to explain it so clearly. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Your own husbands, not somebody else's husbands. Your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. What's the contrary? The master, the, not the master, but the, the husbands in the authority. But you can't do it any old way you want. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. They're put in your charge and your care. You've got a delegated authority. You have to love them. Ephesians talks a whole lot about how you have to love them. It's how Christ loved His church because your marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church, that self-sacrificial love where He gave His own life to save His wife, His bride, church, you and me. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. That bitter, that means not sharp-tongued, right? Not hostile. Ever heard of a hostile work environment? With our tongues, we can create a hostile marriage environment. Right? And so, husbands, we have that charge and responsibility. Love our wives and be not better against them. Children, same idea. We're in authority. It's all captured together. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Who's your target to serve? God, right? You want to please Him. How do I please Him? Obey your parents in all things. That's the way He set it up. My parents aren't perfect. They make mistakes. They're, they're sinners. They're flawed, right? Obey them anyway, because that's what pleases God. Okay? And then the flip side, fathers, 
Provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged or disheartened. I'm a man under authority, authority above me, and I have those under me. And I have to govern myself both as submissive and also as bearing out the authority that God has given in a way that pleases Him. Regardless of which side of the coin we're considering, He's ultimately the model that we go to. Okay? Let's go on a little bit further. Go to 1 Timothy. A few books over. Again, this concept is not isolated. It's repeated many times. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. 1 Timothy 6 and 1 says, Let as many as are as many servants as are under the yoke, I mean you're, you're under bondage, count their own masters worthy of all honor. Worthy of all honor. The one that has been put in authority over your life, that you are to count them held them in a position of honor or esteem, not despising them. Why? That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Okay. Let's say that I was uh, a slave back in this day. And I was, I was a Christian. And my master knew it. But I was disrespectful. I was disobedient. I was lazy. I stole from him. Am I, you know, back talk, am I causing the name of God to be blasphemed? Yeah, I am. Because I'm not governing myself in accordance with how God has commanded all of his servants. Because whether you're free, you're still God's servant in the way that pleases and causes respect on His name. Alright? Let's be clear. Unbelievers are always going to blaspheme God's name. That's a given. Right? They, they're going to find things to mock and ridicule. Your job is not to make it easy on them. Right? Not to just replete, make a life that ignores what you know and expose our rank hypocrisy. Does that make sense? <coughs> If you go over to Titus, there's, a, there's an illustration given to this young preacher. Um, Titus chapter 2, verse 7 says, In all things, all things showing thyself, individually, a pattern of good works. Pattern of good works. Not just once, but over and over again, a pattern of good works in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. This is Titus 2 and 8. Sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Basically, don't make it easy on them to speak evil of you and your God. Right? Do it so well that they just have to come up with outright lies. Or if they're trying to tell things about you that nothing falls up to be true and they just look like an idiot. Right? Let them be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. And what does it say immediately after that? Exhort servants to obedient to their own masters, and to please them well in all things. Not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. So you got positives there, right? Two positives. Be obedient to their own masters. Please them well in all things. Two negatives. Not answering again. 
Y'all ever been guilty of answering again? Back talk to anybody who's an authority over you, whether it's a boss or a parent or whatever, right? Not doing that. And these, these lessons apply regardless of what authority we're talking about here. Not back talking. Not purloining. What's purloining? Stealing. Alright? It's where you kind of go clock into work and then you go sit in the back corner and you take a nap for 30 minutes. Or you go in the office supply closet and you take, you know, that big box of pencils. Oh, it's only 50 cents. Nobody's going to miss Purloining, right? God sees. It doesn't matter whether your boss sees or not. It's us living a life of such integrity that everything we do is in God's service and before Him. And even if we're serving our sorry low-down boss, we serve Him the best of our ability because that's what pleases our Heavenly Father. That's what He's commanded us to. Is this easy? Does your carnal self say, Yeah! No, it doesn't, right? This is walking in the Spirit, right? How's your spiritual walk? Well, I serve my boss obediently with a good spirit and humbly today. Most folks say, that's your spiritual walk. Yeah, it is, okay? Not prolonging, but showing all good fidelity, faithfulness, being faithful, all right? Not hearing about that deal that boss is working on and say, well, if I go create my other company, I could take that and then I'd make a lot of money, right? That's not showing all faithfulness, right? also against the law, but anyway. Listen to this last clause. You're doing this, you're obedient, you're pleasing well in all things, not answering again, not prolonging, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Alright, here's a mental image for you. Alright, y'all ever seen those wrappers, you know, that big gold necklaces, right? Sometimes they'll have some words on the bottom. Imagine that you're wearing that and it says follower of Christ. All right? You've got this goal. It's not very, very nice, very expensive. When you are obeying God and you're doing the things that please Him, it's like that thing is a charm bracelet and you're attaching rubies and diamonds and whatever. It's, it reflects well on God and on His commandments. But when you disobey Him and you are that sloven, disrespectful, uh, disobedient, stealer of time, where you're doing all the things wrong, it's like taking that big necklace and attaching, you know, a fish head, a gym sock, a nasty banana peel. I'm a follower of Christ. Well, ooh, that doesn't sound like, doesn't look like a very good thing. That's the idea here, that when you're doing what God says to do, you're adorning, you're decorating, you're... Um, glorifying, if that makes sense, the doctrine of God our Savior in all things, rather than <clears throat> causing reproach and shame and giving ammo for the world to blaspheme Him. Okay? Now, if you want to know how serious um, this context is you know, of servants serving the masters, the very next letter after Titus is Philemon. You know what that's about? That's about Paul sending a runaway slave back to his master. He ran away. He came to Paul. He was converted. He's now become a faithful helper of Paul while Paul's there in Rome. Paul said, I'd really like to keep him, but I don't want to do anything where his master is forced to do it. I'd rather it be willingly, and so I'm sending him back to you. Um, maybe he left you for a time where it was unprofitable, and now he's going to be, um, perhaps he'll be, you know, profitable for you know for forever, but don't hard, hold him just as a servant. Hold him as above a servant, as a bre- brother beloved. Okay. He was sent back. 
Now, maybe this guy uh, sent him back to Paul. I don't know. But that's the, it's the consistent treatment. It's not talking about... Believe me, I'm not advocating for the practice of slavery. That's not, not my point in all this. The point is that in that society in which they live, there is a structure of where there are those who are in authority over individuals. And the goal as a follower of Christ is not to get rid of those structures. The goal is to teach you how to operate within them. Now, if they change and you were made free, that's great. And in fact, it deals with that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But the idea is how do you live and serve God wherever you were put, wherever you've been called? You are no less effective of a servant of Christ if you're a slave or if you're a free person, whether you're an employee or an employee or a child or a parent, you are still able to fully serve Him now. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 20. It says, Let every man abide in the same calling wherewith he is called. Previous context about if you were a Jew, don't try and become a Gentile. If you're a Gentile, don't try and become a Jew. Just abide where you're at. Every man abide in the calling where he's called. Art thou called being a servant? Were you called to God? Did the Holy Spirit come and quicken you while you were a servant? He says, care not for it. It doesn't make you less of a servant. It doesn't make you less of a child of God or less of His servant if you are a slave. He says, don't care for it. But if thou mayest be free, use it rather. Okay, if you're free, that's fine. For he that is called the Lord, is called in the Lord being a servant, is also the Lord's free man. This is a perspective. Yeah, you may be a servant by a man. They may have someone over you as a master. I mean, we could have a terrible breakdown in this country. Slavery comes back. You and I could all be put into bondage, all right? And we'd have masters. This would still apply to us, right? That's kind of hard for you and I to think about. But even if we were servants, you know whose free man we would be? The Lord's, right? It's kind of like Jesus said, you know, don't fear those that can kill the body. That's really all they got. Right? And so, if one that were to make us a slave, we would still be the Lord's free man. Likewise, he that is free, okay, you're free. Y'all are all free. Guess what? You're still the Lord's servants. Alright? You're Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be ye not the servants of men. Okay? This is recognizing who is that great authority over your life. The condition that you find your life in, whether it's in a job or wherever it is, it does not hinder you from fully serving God now. And you don't have to look for a way of escape from whatever you're going through now in order to start serving Him. You serve there. Can He change the circumstances? Sure. Does He have to? No. Okay. This is teaching us how do we live godly wherever we have been called. Alright. So that's our introduction. Let's go to 1 Peter. 45 minutes later. 1 Peter. We'll pick up just in verse 11 to get a running start. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, I'm begging you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation, your whole manner of life, honest among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, and Lord, Lord help us, it better be falsely, that uh, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Despite them slandering you, you continue to faithfully serve fast, continue to do the good works, continue to obey, continue to 
uh, you know, serve that you know, sorry boss uh, from a humble spirit, obediently, with fear and trembling, um, from your heart, doing those good works, which they'll see, and then in the end, they're going to have to glorify God on the day of judgment, when Christ returns, that day of visitation. Because of all that, right? 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man to the, for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king or as supreme, right? Talking about authority and civil government, or as unto governors, um, you know, someone who's lower down in the pecking order, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. What's the will of God in my life? Right? Sometimes people take that and they try to make it, well, my will of God is for you to go to this school. The will of God, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Right? Regardless of the outside circumstances, you continue to do well. Do well. As free, not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Who are you serving? God, in all things. Do all things as unto the Lord, and do it heartily. Honor all men. Love the brotherhoods, particularly in here. Fear God. Honor the king. Verse 18. Servants. Be subject to your masters with all fear. Fear and trembling to God. You're subject to them. You're obeying to them, right? Not only to the good and gentle. It's not conditioned on the master. Well, he's a good master. He's a good master. He's gentle to me. He doesn't treat me harshly. I'll be submissive to him. doesn't say that. It says not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. We don't use that word froward, but it kind of means the idea of perverse, crooked, um, the one who just really makes your life miserable, right? Even in that context, right? And this is any authority figure. Continue um, for Christ's sake. For this is thankworthy. This is thankworthy. If a man, for conscience' sake, towards God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Read that again. This is thankworthy. God takes note of this. And it pleases him that if a man, for conscience sake towards God, because I love God, and because he's commanded me to obey even this shyster fellow that's over me in authority, and I get, you know, never heard the expression, no good deed goes unpunished? It's that. But not complaining about it, not being bent out of shape about it, but continuing to bear that patiently, enduring grief, suffering wrongfully. This is an unjust suffering. There are times where it's just for us to suffer, you know? I sped, I got the ticket, I got to pay the fine, right? That's, I, I brought that on myself. This is when you didn't deserve it and you still take it patiently. Why? Because that's what your master's called you to. So, for this is thankworthy. For what glory is it when you're buffeted for your faults? You shall take it patiently. Okay, well, you get that speeding ticket and you don't back talk the cop. Okay, well, good job. You still did wrong, right? There's no glory if you take that patiently when you were evil and in the wrong, right? But when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. Okay? Is this a really high standard that we're called to? You better believe it. <laughs> you practice this. I need to practice this. You're doing the right thing and you suffer for it and you remain patient. You did the right thing. That's great. You suffer for it. And then you start mouthing off and piping and just blowing your lid. It's, it's, it's both, right? It's not just doing the right thing. 
but when you don't get that positive reinforcement from the world, which don't expect it, right, to continue to take it patiently, that's acceptable for God. This is taking it to that next level. Hardship's coming, you're doing the right thing, and suffering comes, you take that patiently. This is acceptable. Acceptable means well-pleasing. Well-pleasing to God. All right, remember, we're talking about who's our target that we're serving. Christ, right? What example did He give while He was here? That's the model that we want to follow, right? Well, let's look at His model. For even hereunto were you called. This is what you were called to do. Suffer patiently. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Did Christ do anything wrong? Zero. Did no sin, neither did He have any anything verbally. Right? Didn't commit any action, nor did He speak anything wrong. Who when He was reviled, how did He take it? He reviled not again. So when He was lashed with the tongue, He didn't lash back. I think I love expression, clap back. I'm seeing what great retort you could have back to just, it's like a verbal backhand of somebody who's spoken ill of you. Well, I'm just going to whack. Right? We're to, not to do that. That's not the pattern that Christ gave. When he suffered, he threatened not. So when he's going undergoing torture, he didn't say, well, y'all better knock it off. You know who my father is? You're going to whoop you. He could have called down legions of angels and wiped out the whole globe. Didn't even need to call. He should do it. Just speak, right? He had that power, and yet he didn't. He threatened not. He suffered, he threatened not. But what did he do? He committed himself to him that judges righteously. I am obeying the Father in my walk here below. This is Jesus. And I'm going to leave it all in God's hand. God's going to take care of it. That's the pattern that we do. I'm serving him. Regardless of the forces that are against me, I'm going to continue to serve Him. Do I have to take every wrong and get vengeance for myself? No. Well, they really need to learn such and such. It may not be my job to teach them. But I'm going to trust God. that God says that vengeance is mine. He'll repay. If it's one of His children, He'll chasten them. And if it's not, there's a day coming where it's going to be so much worse. But we're committing unto Him that judges righteously. Who His own self, Jesus, bear our sins on His own body. Our sins. Not His own. Our sins on His own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. What are we talking about here? We're talking about what it means to look like living unto righteousness here in this world. By whose stripes we were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That's the pattern He gave. He did well. He suffered for it. And He took it patiently. What do we have? Regardless of what authority structure we're under, we do well, (coughs) pleasing God. Even if we suffer for it, we continue to take it patiently because that's well-pleasing to our Father. Is that hard for our carnal self to wrap our head around? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Is that hard to apply? Yeah, it is. <coughs> Are we excused from doing it? Not a bit. We saw in that context it expands out beyond servants. What does the very next chapter start with? Likewise, you wives. 
be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Even if you have uh, a husband who's not a believer, and he's, you know, has no uh, interest in the things of God, your charge wouldn't change. You continue to faithfully serve God and submitting um, under Him because that's what pleases Him. That's what pleases God the Father. Um, now in the context of servants in our Bible study, we talked about one who was sent back to serve a hard master. Remember that? Hagar, right? Her mistress said, here, go unto my husband and bear children for me. She did. She obeyed. And she got in trouble for it. Right? She looked. She, she was sending some eye talk to her mistress and said, you know, when she conceived, I could tell that she was despising me. This is Sarah. And so she's mad about it. And Abraham says, she's your handmaid. You do what you will. And she was really hard to her, hard on her. So hard that she ran away. And the angel finds her in the wilderness and promises her that the child's going to grow up, it's going to be a great nation, but you're to go back and to submit to your mistress. So even in that hard situation, that servant was sent back and was called to submit to God by submitting to that mistress. And she didn't ask for any of that. I feel like Hagar kind of gets a real bad rap. I mean, she was done unto. But all she could control is how does she exist within that structure. And so what did she do? She submitted. She went back. Okay? Now, there are people who will take this and they will try to twist it and they will try to make it so that those who are under their teaching or under them have no critical thinking. Okay? It's just blanket, listen to what I say and do it, period. That is not my goal. I want all of you, and wherever you are in your authority structures, whether it's as a master or as one underneath, I'm using those terms generally, is that you are subject to God the Father. Period. Okay? And so in that structure, you have to know what does He want. Right? It's just like the little child who says, okay, you can burn down the house with the matches. There are limits about what anyone can tell you to do or refuse to do. And that's when they're trying to override God the Father. Okay? I expect you to be critical thinkers. If you are in a job and your job, your boss says, go file this report, you know it's a lie, we're going to make this insurance claim, it's going to be fraud, you have a duty to God to say no. What if I get fired for it? You get fired for it. Okay? You're serving God in whatever context it is. An example for this. Joseph, right? His friendly brothers sold him into slavery. His cousin, his cousins, the Ishmaelites take him on down. He works really hard, right? He works hard for Potiphar. Potiphar's house is really blessed because of him. Everything's so great, you know, whatever he touches gets better. And so Potiphar's like, here, handle it all. He doesn't know anything about what's on the dinner table. And what happens? One who is over authority of him, the mistress of the household, tries to induce him to sin. Over and over and over and over again, 
and he never relents. And you can see in Genesis 39 and 9, he said, you know, my, my master's put everything under my house, the house under me. The only thing he's withheld is you, and I cannot commit this sin against my master or the sin against God. That's the expression, the sin against God. Okay? We ultimately report to God. And you need to be in God's Word and thoroughly versed about what He expects from you. The general rule is going to be that within that authority structure, you submit as much as you can for conscience sake towards God. But when you get to the point where it is clearly something that God has told you not to do, or it's prohibiting you from doing something He has told you to do, that's when, like the apostles, you must say, I am going to obey God rather than men and deal with the consequences. Taking those patiently. Okay? Not returning evil for evil. For this is well pleasing. This is what we're... This is, this is a lot. I know that. But if it's something that's repeated over and over and over and over in Scripture, we need to really take note of it and really t- attempt to start applying it. We are men and women under authority. We exist within authority structures. And so for God's sake, for our conscience' sake towards God, as we're trying to serve Him, we will cheerfully and humbly submit as much as we can. That's the general rule. And only when there is a clear violation of this is something that contradicts Scripture, not just, I don't like it, right? That's not the exception. I'm going to follow Him as long as I like it. Because this is what Christ has called us to. So, may we strive this week to think in these terms and try to serve our Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Master better. Thank you all for your time and attention.